This is Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, featuring distinctly qualified global change makers dedicated to creating a healthier planet. One where our unique gifts are lived, expressed, and celebrated. I'm your host, Julian Guderlein. Today I'm here with Stephen Young. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you. Excited for this. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on this podcast and today, like dropping in on you know, the high performance and longevity and really energetically what we can do in this world, um, you know, that this ever-changing world, the world that is, that is, you know, in the last two years just accelerated for so many people tuning in and listening. And so I'm, I'm curious, Stephen, like where, where would you start with what is really required in today's world to, uh, you know, live in freedom, uh, create uh, into the field of harmony, but also to just show up in your, in your very best self? Yeah. I would say the vibration would be like unconditional love within a box of realizing we are like divine sovereign beings. So that. Right on. Yeah. Let's, un <laughs> let's unpack this classic <laughs> pod pod podcast vocabulary. Let's unpack this. Right. Um, let's definitely unpack this. I mean, you know, sovereignty, I think is a good place to start at and, and, and what that mm -hmm. means both no matter where one lives, if you're, you know, in the United States and Canada in South America and Europe and Africa or Asia, like what is sovereignty as a human, um, like for you, what does it really mean? Yeah. You know, a lot of people ask me, um, you know, what is success like for you? And I can sort of tie this into sovereignty because while we may not have the ability to change the laws in the state or nation that you live in, um, or even some of the happenings that's, you know, in your life, we have absolute sovereignty over the story, right, that we make in relation to these things. And so I think for me, sovereignty is this, this practice, um, and eventually embodiment of consistently being the observer, and choosing with the highest discernment, what your relationship and what the meaning is to all the happenings, you know, in your life. Hmm. that's an interesting link the relationship we have with with what's showing up mm -hmm. um, sh share a little bit more because i know this is one of your one of your fields of expertise is to to arrive in the contextual relationships because it's different if you're with a family member or with a, mm -hmm. a you know a, a new person you meet at an event or with your government right or with your um, your neighbors across the street that you never even even know maybe right like the relationship really matters and it changes who we are basically contextually speaking as well yeah yeah and so I'll, I'll give an example let's say in relationships so the typical context of relationships if you hear people you know if you meet a couple or you talk to a couple like you know husband and wife or whatever um, a typical thing you'll hear that's asked and that's discussed is, oh, how long have you been together, right? And so typically in relationships, the contextual viewpoint of success in a relationship basically is duration. And so we get to question this, is that really the context that you want to use when you're in a relationship? Maybe the context for success um, or you know, a valuable relationship could be other things like how deep is the connection? the intimacy or how open is your communication, right? And so that's an example. A lot of people just step into relationships like, all right, this is gonna be my forever person. And that tends to be the entire context built around duration, 
And so that's an example of there are so many things that we we take as absolutes that we don't realize. Oh no, we can we can change these contexts. Mm. Yeah, and, and it's it's a really huge role in I you know I've learned over the last decades in in personal freedom actually to understand uh, understand that these nuances and to always keep kind of playing with them as well, which is the more exciting part, right? You you basically don't end up in in conceptual boxes, but you you start to realize that how things actually happen um, matter, and then how how we interact with them in this contextual field. Very, very good example. Um, well, you also say unconditional love. And I want to, I want to tap into that a little bit more. There's a time in my life where I would have probably said, what do you mean? I mean, you know, love is unconditional and if not, it's not real love, but then we know that love has so many layers. It's such a hard to pin down word, right? So love can both be the excitement when you, you know, you have a crush on someone or when you enjoy something really thoroughly, you're like, I love this, especially in the English language, you know, a word that's used a lot, but unconditional is a, a context that I feel is so, yeah, it's just a, a very powerful frequency because it means no matter what, right? Um, can you make pragmatic examples to how that might apply to people's life? You know, that sure. not everything in life seems lovable to everyone, I guess, you know? Sure. Yeah. And the first thing I'll, since we talked about context, right, we can talk about the context of love, the typical context. And you can just imagine most TV shows, books, media uh, that we have observed in our lifetime portrays the context of love as being transactional, right? It shows up in the language, like find love, lose love, gain love. It's literally a, a transactional uh, vehicle, basically. Mm. Whereas to me, unconditional love, you know, the, the way to explain it is like transactional things is like a laser, point A to point B, right? Very targeted. And um, the other way to look at it is we, we get to be light bulbs instead of lasers. And light bulb just emits light without any clear direction. And so to me, to go from transactional, you know, mass media context of love to unconditional love is like going from a laser to a light bulb, right? You're, it doesn't matter where you're not thinking where it's going, where it's coming from. Just, you're just a light bulb emitting this unconditional love. And so it's no longer a transactional frequency. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant. Let's, let's take this into the, an actual relationship example. So let's sure. just say, you know your your loved one could be could be a family member or like mm -hmm. your intimate partner um, does something that you don't agree with right what we what we probably all know everyone included is a moment where like your 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 habitual pattern the way your mind thinks the way your body reacts wants to just take over and react right how sure. do you in that context um how do you experience, maybe that's, that's the, the, the interesting way to ask, how do you personally yeah. experience unconditional love moving into a, an interaction? Yeah, yeah. So especially in those moments, right? Let's say in the moment in a relationship where your, your significant other does something that you, let's say, don't agree with. Like, I call that, you know, don't clean the dishes or whatever. Let's get right. like su super like simple. Perfect. Thing, right? Human yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like the dishes are just dirty for like three days. We'll exaggerate, right? <laughs> and so I call that game time, right? In that moment, your, your consciousness is now like, all right, what's the story? How do I, how do I sense making this? That's game time. And just like any sport, let's say basketball, 
if you only ever show up at game time and you don't practice, you're not going to be a performer during the game time. Boom. And so what this means is when it's not those situations, when you're just like walking, when you're like peeing, right? When, when there's nothing really going on during that time is practice time. And during that practice time, um, what I found is that I have this belief that if we unconditionally love ourselves, if we love every aspect of every moment of our lives, we actually would never um, say things like you should, or you need to do this mm-hmm. because that those frequencies only comes from through the law of correspondence from within, right? Like if we don't ever have a should or a need in our, in our vibration, it, it can't be expressed. And so what I believe is helpful is during practice time, when you are just by yourself in, in learning who you are, the practice of loving all aspects of yourself, the light, the shadow, the, the pain, the pleasure. I believe through that practice of loving all the parts even more is what allows game time to see those dirty dishes and say, you know what, I, I, it's okay, I love them. And it's, no one's gonna die. Like the dishes are there, someone's gonna clean it. And if it's me cleaning it, you know what? It's my way of expressing love to the other person. And so, I, in fact, it's funny that we pick dishes. I basically, I never use a dishwasher. I hand wash the dishes because I've built a relationship to washing dishes where it's like, it's actually very peaceful. There's something very peaceful about the water, mm-hmm. right? And so that's like a, a real, you know, real world 3D example. It really is. I mean, it's also so interesting when you take this example into a group, right? So, and it's, it's, it's great to have this conversation with you, Stephen, because you and I both work with this contextual framing. And I heard you mention, you know, the, the Kibali on there, the, the hermetic principles. We'll dive into that a little bit more. Yeah. But these, you know, these energetic understandings of ourselves in context with, with one-on-one relationships, but also in group relationships, then really help us to empower and support uh, others to really step into more of their potential and make it real. Yeah. And what I've noticed is in groups. So let's take the dishes example. Yeah. If there's enough people around to, who witness this three days of dirty dishes, mm-hmm. usually, unless of course there's a pre-existing um, problem in the social field of, of that group, usually the, the energy shifts very quickly from, thinking about whose fault it is or who should do it or, or this, you know, one-on-one pattern that people might have from mirroring mainstream media or their parents' relationships. And I mean, I'm, I've gone through all of this myself too, you know, um, usually it shifts pretty quickly to just action or inspiration mm-hmm. to take action. Someone in the group on that given day is like, that's just how it is. I'm going to do the dishes right now. Yeah. And then from there, which is an unconditional approach, right? It's just like, mm-hmm. this is what's in the room. It's just like, you know, as a human, you will brush your teeth twice a day or more often, if you like. And it's just something you do. It's like nothing you will stop doing because it's annoying. You yeah. know the benefits of doing that. And so in groups, when we witness each other, when we're in community, when we are building fields, I often experience it um, like the, the actual push-pull that might be in a one-on-one relationship. Yeah. moves away and an unconditional unconditional perspective takes over with a, an, an inspiration of, of simply acting yeah for sure i can see that because in group dynamics right in a one-on-one situation with two people it tends to be the energy tends to be more transactional 
mm-hmm. right? And especially if we break down unconditional and love, both words are equally important by themselves and, and extra you know, important when they're together. And, and we can also define unconditional as non-transactional, right? It's just, mm-hmm. again, it's, it's that light bulb instead of the laser. And so I can totally see how in a group, because you have more complexity, it tends to be automatically more of a, a light bulb because it's just a bunch of lasers going around, right? And so, yeah, I can totally see that being the case. This is exciting because it sets us up for, you know, diving quite a bit deeper into this, into this conversation from also like the meta perspective of what's happening on this planet right now, right? Because we, as people, we grow through these game time moments in the small from the dishes to the big, um, let's say what our governments are planning or what economic interest is doing. And we know on this planet, and this is, you know, the, a big topic of this podcast, we, we can choose destruction or we can choose regeneration. Those are you know, in terms of the actions that we carry out as humans, um, those are like the two big polarities, right? And so a world that is based on economic incentives that are transaction limited, like you're just describing, will very likely never create a truly regenerative world in the first place, because the pathways are just not open to allow for this kind of more unconditional and all-encompassing um, expression. Um, how, how would you, how would you see that? And do, do you agree? And, and where, where, where do these energetic kind of principles and this wisdom lead us then to build a more regenerative world? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, if I could wave a magic wand and we, you know, had a wish, it literally would just be for all of humanity to live in this non-transactional way. Hmm. Right. Because, if we're all living as a light bulb instead of a laser, everyone is supporting each other constantly. Like one being that lights up is literally supporting and helping the other seven, eight billion people and everyone else is doing the same. So from a very, very, very high level meta vibrational perspective, essentially is practice on a, on a daily basis, how to be a light bulb instead of a laser. I, I believe that that at the foundation will automatically shift everything downstream. Beautiful. I love I love that light bulb metaphor because the laser is like you know almost self obsessed. It's the yeah. individual culture of of you know like the Western world, especially uh, capitalist North America, right? And so it's like all about me and all about what I can do and look at what I've created. And then the light bulb, if if you picture everyone like a light bulb, we yeah. basically illuminate each other's shadows. Yeah. What might be in my blind spot, uh, if there's enough people around me that are in a mutuality relationship with me. Now we suddenly, you know, kind of eradicate that shadow and and just help each other to be accountable um, from a, from an all encompassing or more like an, a multi-directional perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would say absolutely that from a meta vibrational contextual and from a psychology or psychological perspective, I would say, um, completely getting rid of the frame and context of problem solution mm-hmm. to uh, there's a situation that's going on. What's an even more divine, even more creative way to move forward with that situation. Mm-hmm. And it seems subtle, but it's powerfully different than problem solution. Well, in its principles, if I'm hearing this right, it is really all about if we address and see the world through a Cartesian reductionist reality of, um, you know, zeros and ones, yes and no's, parameters, mm-hmm. 
on and off, or if we see the world as a multiverse of possibilities that become realized through the observer, right? Uh, us being the, well, realized through the observer and the participant who's usually uh, one entity in the sense that even science that gets realized through the observing principle. I mean, this is something most people still have like, you know, uh, at least this disagreements about, but science is always biased not just based on who's funding it, but also based on who's observing it, right? We, we remember Masuro Emoto's uh, water, water experiments that many people could repeat, but other people could not repeat. And so it's a very difficult thing to call empirical science if some people can't repeat it. But then if yeah. these people go in believing that, they, that water will not change its molecular structure based on their, their energetic vibration, then they might just prove to themselves that that's not possible. Exactly. That is such a powerful thing to understand <laughs> yes mm -hmm. yeah no and you know we asked a question at the beginning what's most required in this world today and i think understanding this is really required in this context we're moving through because we live in a shit storm of external influences right we've mm -hmm. created a world that uh, forces us as you just said into this transactional uh, reality unless you either have the privilege or you've created the freedom in your own choices and through your own consequential actions to, yeah. to, to be on a, on a level playing field, right? Yeah. Um, but we also just scratched on the hermetic principles. I, I don't <laughs> think I've ever unpacked them on the show. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it. Uh, maybe some people haven't. They have absolutely played a role in my last 10 years of like self-development and understanding some of the, the, the principles of the natural world. Do you mind walking us through them? It seems like you, you have a, a very deep understanding of those seven principles. Yeah, yeah. I, I typically start off with saying that they're the seven immutable laws, right? And the, the metaphor I give is like, if life is a board game, basically these are the game rules of life. And you can imagine if you play any board game without reading the rules, it, it's a bit wonky. You're trying to figure out, wait, what, what are the restrictions? What, what's allowed? And, and basically it's not as fun. And so these seven laws literally govern all of reality. And I will say that the seven laws, um, it's the lock that keeps us in this dualistic way of living, but it's also the key built within that unlocks that lock, right? So mm -hmm. those are two, two important contexts before we get into the specifics of the seven laws. And so the seven laws are um, law of polarity. Everything is opposites, right? So when you think about, you know, for example, the, the polarity I typically talk about is when you want to heal yourself, you must also create and find and look for wounds to heal. It has to come with the opposite, right? And so realize everything has the, the polarity. And then there's the law of rhythm. Everything swings back and forth between these two poles. And if we start to just combine laws, if we combine the law of rhythm and polarity, and we notice the swing, let's say from hot to cold, we start to see a whole different contextual understanding that contains the polarity, which is temperature. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting is once you understand temperature, you realize hot and cold technically aren't opposites. They're just relative to each other. It's actually one concept of temperature, right? And so this is an example of how you can use the laws and combine them and take something that's dualistic like hot and cold and you understand temperature and now it's unity. It's one frame, right? And so that's sort of um, how to apply just the two laws. There's the law of cause and effect, right? Every, nothing happens by accident. Every, every thought 
of every word that goes into our consciousness is affecting reality, all of reality. And that leads us to the law of mentalism. All let's, things. Let's pause there for a second before you go yeah. to mentalism, because yeah. that every word mm -hmm. that we bring into the physical form actually influences and creates our reality is yes. so easy to think about, conceptually speaking. Yeah. You know, I mean, fair enough. That's what we're participating with. But then when, when I watch myself and, you know, as a, a polyglot and living on, on different continents and speaking in different languages, I've seen that in different languages, I use different blocks of um, vocabulary or of slang or dialect. And some of them are more uh, accurate to the worlds I want to create, especially in social context. Yeah. And some of them I've, I've learned over the years, it's really just habits that you've inherited from, let's say, your parents and your mother tongue or social yeah. media in the modern age or even mainstream media when it comes to English, right? Like the, the international English, not necessarily English in um, just, you know, Great Britain or just the United States. But as an international culture, we've, mm -hmm. we're meeting on a, a, a language bandwidth that is you know, it's quite interesting to observe. I mean, it, it, it resembles the mainstream reality TV shows like, you know, the whatever from Friends and Seinfeld in the 90s to whatever is popular today. And that, that creates a specific reality. It, it isn't necessarily what we're all wanting. It's just what we're all emulating because we've seen it first. Yeah. Yeah. I can apply this to real world examples and I'll, I'll give two. Um, scientifically, there's no such thing as the flu season mm. because as we know now with COVID, it's not like viruses take a vacation in the summertime, yeah. right? But in the flu, summertime is way less. It's yeah. typically fall and winter. What the contextual reality is, it's a vitamin D deficiency season, right? And this is just a, a simple application of that's a completely different reality than the flu season. If we stick to healthcare, right? There's a huge difference in language of like, mm. you have diabetes. Yes. It's literally imprinting a thing into you versus Diagnosis. this is your identity. Now it is your identity. Mm. And right. And so for people who are labeled with, you have diabetes for years, they go even deeper into, I am a diabetic. Yes. Right. And so imagine the difference between that versus you're currently experiencing a decreased ability to process blood sugar. That's a very different context and vibration and reality than you have diabetes or you are diabetic. And so we start to realize that our words have been given to us in a way to enslave us in a way. And so it's, it, this is part of the game and it's fun. Like don't see it as, oh my God, this is awful. It's the fun of realizing, okay, how do I climb out of this, this oppression and suppression? So Powerful example. You said you're gonna yeah. get two. Um, yeah, so that was two. So the, the oh, one was that you yes. have, and the other one, yeah. the, the opposites of each other. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give another one. That's that's yeah. that's that's like a you know again coming back to the contextual reality that we create as as humans in relationships. Um, think of the kitchen scenario with your your partner again, or with your best friend, or something. And let's say, you know, you're in the kitchen. You just you just ha you just had food, and it's beautiful. And maybe your intention is to create an intimate moment, maybe even a romantic moment, or just something that leads to more connection. But your words, because your mind is everywhere, your words say, so are you going to do the dishes? Now you're, you're closing the door, possibly, to the intimate moment you want to create with your intention that would require a way different vocabulary and pointing of 
language. And what I've noticed in my own life and in, in, in many of the people that you know surround me, if that's clients, if that's friends, if that's at events, is that sometimes our language closes doors of possibility because we, we kind of meet at something that's just immediate and we, we label it, we name it, we speak about it rather than breathing and realizing if I say this now, is this leading to the next contextual place where I would like to be in? Yeah. All right. Like if I want yeah. intimacy, maybe washing the dishes can wait until either later or tomorrow and doesn't need to be a topic. But yeah. if you make it a topic, it then becomes reality. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I, I think we're conditioned to react to reality, whereas the practice really is being the observer and with the highest discernment, choose our responses and words um, with the highest discernment. Big time. Sure. And the, the, the yeah. response to reality, the reactiveness is, um, yeah, it's, it's just getting more with uh, cell phone use after waking and before sleeping, right? Like you, yeah. we're in training ourselves to that reaction, but keep going through the, the hermetic principles. So we just yeah. use me mentalism. Is that right? Yeah. So that's a fourth one. So, so far we've covered polarity, rhythm, cause and effect, and mentalism, and essentially mentalism is all, all things, all reality originates from thought. And I'll, I'll throw in there an interesting aspect of thought. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of the, the Dahmerhern philosophy. And in one of their books, they say uh, human beings are incapable of originating thought. We just elaborate on thought, right? There's these more powerful beings that originate thought that gets sort of downloaded. That's why people get downloads. And then we take that thought and we elaborate on thought, which is a really, that's a whole nother topic. Very interesting mm -hmm. concept. And then so that's four. And then there's five is law of gender, right? So everything has a masculine and feminine uh, component to it. Uh, six would be um, the law of correspondence. This is actually my favorite, also known as as above, so below. Mm -hmm. And really, essentially, it means that your external reality right now, all the things that are happening in your life is a direct response to your internal vibration and who you are. Right? And again, so we can tie back to language. Technically, there's no such thing as that makes me feel angry. It's more like I have anger within me somewhere. And that is now showing up in my reality. And if people just switch that frame, then every quote unquote trigger situation becomes this incredible opportunity to tap into these frequencies that are in us that may not be consciously aware that we've suppressed, you know, for potentially decades. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the law of correspondence is, is huge. Um, and then there's the law, the final law is the law of vibration. And what's interesting is they say, for anyone that fully gets the law of vibration, you now transcend from human to divine, right? And so, um, so I'll go a little bit deeper into the law of vibration. So at the super simple level is everything's just vibrating molecules, right? At different frequencies. And so once we realize that, then we go, wait, if we, if we can choose the frequency, we absolutely can choose and affect all matter in all ways. Right. Like, in other words, if we learn to affect the vibrating molecules of the air right on top of my hand, technically, with enough practice, I can form matter through my thought law of mentalism and my will and focus. It's quite fascinating when you get deeper into the law of vibration, how we literally, you know, and there's there's um, all kinds of like the double slit experiment. There's all kinds of 
quantum mechanics and science things to show that we absolutely, our attention on all matter is affecting the behavior of that matter. And so the law of vibration is a, a, a huge element or a huge mechanism for us to realize you know, we're, we're not just the observer, we're actually the creator, which means we have a divine aspect within us um, tricked into thinking we're just human beings. Boom. That's, that's very much, that's very much something people can connect with, you know, and um, I've, I've noticed that everyone on these different stages for going through, uh, you know, a spiritual awakening, going through a ma maturing process as a human being mm -hmm. that, that hops through these kind of layers makes back and forth kind of motions through it. There's like understanding, learning, growing, applying and then there are sometimes are these repercussions where we kind of go back we, we show some older habits and then we realize okay no this really how i perform how i show up how i think about health how i uh, connect to people it, it matters i am the observer and the agent of creating facilitating reality Absolutely. And, and, and there is a joy in that right there is um once we break through this threshold of our understanding our ability to, in that sense, commune with the divine, uh, as you said, to um, not just pretend we're originating thought for the self-obsession of my personal mind, but that we're like mm -hmm. agents that can receive imagination, that can receive or, or, or play and interact with imagination, the nation of images. We're, we're capable of that. We're capable of receiving or holding ideas. There's this metaphor that humans don't have ideas we receive ideas and if you receive the idea it means you carry it for a while but we know through field theory someone else might be carrying the same idea on the yeah. other side of the planet if that's in australia and you're in the united states and then you know strictly economically speaking in this capitalist world maybe it matters who makes it to market first but mm -hmm. you know in in terms of expressing potential i think it's quite fascinating that we there, there's always other people around the world that, that receive similar impulses than us, yeah, right? Absolutely. We're truly interconnected on uh, through these, um, yeah, it's quite esoteric, I guess, the hermetic principles through these er esoteric teachings. But the beauty about esoterics, right, which is like formerly unknown or hidden, hidden knowledge is that yeah. the more we move forward into an age beyond scientificism that's just like heavily biased through interest groups and research based on you know, who invested into research. Once we, we move more and more into the quantum physics age, it seems like all of these esoteric scriptures, no matter from which culture, have a direct relation with what we're discovering in the modern time today. Definitely. Yeah, it, it's the same concept that we're just sciencing and explaining now. But the 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 uh, way in which reality operates has been taught for, you know, tens, 20, 30,000 of years. Like, yeah, long time. Which we're just catching up. Yeah, yeah. much longer. Yeah. 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 I want to bring it back to you personally, Stephen. And I want yeah. to ask, you know, um, about trust because mm. it is a, a, an ongoing topic in, in the show is to understand trust even better because it, it seems wow. to be one of our languages in the social fabric and in the way we really express potential. So for you personally, what is required uh, to experience trust? And how does, how does that feel like in your body, if you could describe that? Yeah. First, I'll lead with, I believe trust is the currency of the future, not money. And we may have talked about that all fine once. And so 
I believe again, right in the moment of trust, that's game time. I'm just thinking like, what's the practice? What's the the recipe, right? The the thing for this. And I don't think it's by accident that most mass media is pushing and selling the vibration of fear, mm. because that fear tends to impart this vibration into us where we're like, all right, we need to control everything, know all the things and control it so we can have all the variables known. And because if we know all the variables that we can control the outcome and there will be less fear. Whereas trust, right, close to faith is embracing the unknown, right? And so it's literally the opposite in a way of, of fear. Mm-hmm. And so once we realize this, then we first thing, you know, from a um, action set perspective is to opt out of that consistent fear vibration right and also embrace the mystery or the unknown and as as we practice embracing the mystery and the unknown trust is almost automatic beautiful and then that's 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 real faith right is when yeah when we know that um we are the universe experiencing itself through a specific angle which is this human angle that you call steven or this human angle i call mm-hmm. julian right and mm-hmm. and so true faith means we're still connected to understanding that this this bigger picture even though it might look chaotic is actually here to um it's here as us as well it's supporting us it's seeing us it's loving us it's connecting us um but for that it, we got to practice quite a bit i, I noticed yeah. with a lot of people in in growing up in modern society um, this is going to be probably with us our, in our entire generation that the term and the idea of unlearning mm-hmm. because so many programs were learned that prohibit this trust that prohibit yeah. this faith right or yeah. that uh, make it into again scientificism or religion that is both very restrictive and un- allowing us to understand true principles of life yeah yeah for sure when we were young we were told by parents teachers we were basically put in boxes mm-hmm. and so we we and we incarnated to experience this for this reason. And so we climb out of these boxes and that's part of our, our human consciousness evolution. So it's like unlearn the boxes we've been put in. Mm-hmm. And re- relearning on the path forward. What's, um, you know, in, in that context, what's one of the things as, as you've gone through your unlearning and relearning that is that you're really carrying into the world right now. I, I know about your, your vision in terms of, you know, holistic health. Uh, we've talked about one of your ventures that uh, a mortal. Um, can you share a little bit about, about that vision and how you, you're bringing this knowledge, this wisdom you've shared in this episode so far into, uh, into the world? Sure. Yeah. So I kind of realized maybe four and a half years ago that um, the one-on-one direct you know, work with people, which I used to do, you know, I used to like treat patients and you know hold experiences. It's still a very transactional thing, right? It's not the light bulb. And so I was like, how do we how do we live more like the light bulb? And so I came up with this concept I call creating containers of teachings. And so for the last four and a half years, everything is about building these containers of teachings. And I just run through a, a mental process of like, can this container help at least a billion people? And if it's a yes, then I go to the next question, which is, do I love doing it? And if it's a yes, yes, then I actually, you know, implement. And so from that way of thinking, 
um, I've sort of attracted incredible partners where we're building, for example, an app, which is a virtual container that you go in. And on the surface, it will give you sovereignty back for your health, mental and physical well-being. But also as you're doing that hidden inside, it's also a who am I lesson. It's all about being aware of who you are. And then even deeper would be accessing your, your divine self. And so we have an app that sort of gamifies this process. And we build an actual container that you get in. It's a chamber that you lay down on. And we use six different technologies to basically bring coherence and restore you physically, mentally, and vibrationally, or we can also say spiritually. And uh, we've also designed a workstation, right? Because that's a container, your, your environment, where when you're working on the computer, you actually become more healthy. Just completely switching the paradigm because currently the, the standing desk, the a sitting chair desk, they're like, you know, get away from it and move your body every 35, 45 minutes. I just designed something where your body moves and you can't slouch and your joints are also supported well. Wow. So creating spaces that allow for a whole other experience of, of self, basically. And, and what's the workspace looking like? Is this like a, the desk of the future? It is. It's, what's really interesting is it pairs with a, currently a standing desk. Um, I actually believe the thing we're developing will be the thing that lasts. I don't see the desktop lasting too long. Right, because eventually, when we have AR glasses and we can talk to computers, we're not going to have this big screen and desktop and, and things in front of us. But we still need to be working in a in a certain environment. And so, the thing that we're building, actually, I believe, will stand the test of time. And I think the desk will go away in you know fifteen twenty years. Hmm. Interesting. Well, um, let's let's hear a bit about your opinion on emerging technology and and the way that that fits into this this reality and where where you see like. Maybe the line also, you know, what's the, yeah. the critical skeptical line? I, I think this is very important to talk about these days. Um, part of this Cartesian um, philosophy, right, is that everything needs a silver bullet to be fixed because we have problems and solutions. And a lot, there's, there's two big narratives in the world that, you know, I want to context this question with. And one of them yeah. is that they, there's too many people. The world has just too many people. It's an interesting narrative. Um, I'm very skeptical about that one personally. And then the other one is that, well, technology will bring all the answers. All right. And like whatever, whatever problem we have, te technology will fix it. And so right. I'd love to hear specifically on like the emerging technologies, but sure. I, I know you have, you have some, some interesting opinions there to, to highlight as well. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, the way I define technology is I sit back and look at different technologies. Technology is just something that was invented to magnify the capability of the human. Mm, like a pen right? or a knife. Yeah. Everything. Software. I mean, it just magnifies, right? Some, some human made it and whatever frequency is in them, their stories, their thought process, all this stuff gets embedded into this tech. And that tech is now able to reach, you know, potentially billions of people. So just, just magnifying humans, that's all technology is. And so from that context, then really it's about, it goes back to how do we, of course, affect the humans, right? Because there's no good or bad technology. It's just technology is magnifying humans. And also there's no good and bad human. It's just that humans are being conditioned 
to live a certain way and have this incredible opportunity to live in that sort of non-transactional way. And I do see a period, right, if we apply the law of rhythm and polarity, we're, we're going more into separation, like technology will separate us even more. It makes things more convenient, but there will be more separation. But eventually, that pendulum will swing the other way and we'll get away from the I'm too busy, life is chaotic and stressful and all that stuff to I have too much time. What am I going to do with all this time? Like, what does my life mean? which is the other side of it. It's absolutely going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to probe a bit deeper here. Yeah, yeah. Do you think we need microchips in our brains? I think um, <laughs> it's inevitable that certain people will opt for a microchip in their brain. Mm. Personally, I would not opt for the microchip because through ancient practices, we can basically do all the things that the microchip could do already anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's up to the sovereign being to decide, right? If you want to use technology, man-made um, devices, or you can use divine built-in devices that we have already to achieve basically the same thing. Yeah, because as you said, all of the technologies are just outside reflections of the capacity of the humans already, so yes. including our yeah. phones today. Of yeah. course, they operate on a physical layer of material reality, but really they're just mirroring our ability for telepathy, right? Yeah. This famous moment where you're like, oh, I just thought of you. I can't believe you just called me. Yeah. Right. Like everyone has, has had one of those where like, I don't know, yeah. your mom or your best friend or someone that you just connected with, you feel this across the whole world. Right. Yeah. And like, I, I personally literally have, have some of these memories specifically outing myself here and specifically mm -hmm. with my mom actually um you know i live in the pacific northwest in you know canada and she she lives in germany and mm -hmm. there's been over the years like a few like a handful of moments where with a big time difference too it's quite you know you're entering a different kind of layer of it too where i would you know be about to go to bed like midnight pacific time and so europe is already like between you know, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. in the morning. And I would get this idea that my mom is out with the, the dog, which is a, a family dog. And I, I know the dog okay. really well. And like, literally she would call within five minutes and she would be on a walk with the dog. Yeah. And then those moments make you think like, well, well wait a second. What comes first? Yeah. Wh where's this, where's this really from? Right. And so of course we use a, uh, yeah. Like we use a knife to cut bread because our, our fingers could rip it apart, but it's more accurate with a knife. So we use these technology devices, but I'm with you that no matter what we build, we want to continue to understand it as an extension of what's already innate to us. And so I yeah. personally find this, you know, Elon Musk fan club, um, very dangerous at this point yeah. where, where it's like, we don't need a savior we don't need technology to save us either. Yeah. It's great when some people bring great inventions into the world. There's no question about that. But like the five agreements uh, say, it used to be four agreements. Uh, the fifth one was added. Maybe, uh, maybe there was a good marketing gimmick to sell another book. But at the same time, this fifth agreement is so interesting. It's be skeptical mm -hmm. and trust your knowing, trust your intuitive knowing. And so when it comes to microchips, in our brains. I agree with you. Uh, I'm a no personally. If someone wants to do it, I'm, I'm sure they can. Um, but it's an interesting one, isn't it? It is. And, and I love that be skeptical fifth agreement. Mm. And, and, I, and a lot of times when I get into deep discussions, I remind the, the listeners 
that everything we just talked about, right? Even question that they're just mirrors for you to look at, to reveal what's already within. It's not like these things are meant to like come in and, and help you. You already have everything within. These are just, we're just, we're just mirroring and bringing up and surfacing things. Yes. Cause, cause we ourselves, I believe this is important in a dialogue like this to add. Yeah. yeah. I think a, a beautiful, uh, both esoteric and spiritual quest you and I have been on in the last uh, 45 minutes, but also with some grounded pragmatic examples, right? And mm -hmm. so I think we, you know, we are mirrors as a technology. We, we're, we're this divine, infinite spirit. And, and then with that, maybe we could talk about what a soul is or like a, the personal part of it. But then this technology the consciousness of a human is really a mirror because you're seeing it inside as above, so below outside, right? You're seeing it. Mm -hmm. Everything comes through the mind, the mental field as a thought first and then turns into something. And anyone who's listening, who's had experiences with that will probably be nodding their head right now. I believe this is really what to, what to get our hands on even more is to understand this. And, and as you said, bring it as unconditional love into business, into education into the social context yeah yeah I, I believe we've incarnated for many reasons and one of them is essentially to know ourselves mm. right because if we're in there's language and religion that says like man is made in the image of god we are aspects of god and how god would want to experience reality so i'm going to create infinite versions of myself and have each version know itself and all that data comes back to me for me to know myself even more this is part of the game in, in my reality so right on and the last question i have for you is is yeah. about your dream for the mm. seven generations into the future mm. so you know if you were to just tap into the field of the dream the the, the nation of images imagination and and you know that we're we're here not in separation from future generations what's what's your wish your your dream for seven generations into the future, what we're laying the foundational stones in this like that. Yeah, we're absolutely transitioning from, and we can sense it from this age of separation and chaos and even despair for certain people and suffering. Absolutely in seven years, it's just the opposite. Where the pendulum is swinging the other way. And you know, this has been written about through lots of ancient texts as well, because everything goes in rhythm and cycles. So in seven generations, we'll be, pretty much in the, the, the thick of things of the, the golden age or the age of enlightenment or age of light, where I believe, um, you know, tech and machines will be doing most of the mundane repetitive stuff for humans. And then humans will have the ample amounts of space to deeply express their unique frequency, their unique gift, their unique light frequency into the world. Whereas right now it's like survival transactional. We're just going to be on the other end of that. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time. Feel yeah. free to share if you want to point people towards um, a way to be in touch with you. I'm going to make sure to link it all out on the show notes as well. Um, what's an easy way to, to follow your work and, and your journey? Yeah. So I have, um, I have a personal website which is just drstevion.com or you can find me on, I think the only social media I really go on is Facebook. So just, you know, type my name and, and search and find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for this uh, really deep conversation and guiding us through the hermetic principles.
Yeah, I loved it. Thank you.